Well, good morning, church. Good morning. It's good to see you all this day. We spent the last four weeks learning about the work of the Spirit. Today's the fifth Sunday of that. And we look first that the Spirit is the helper. Uh, he is the one who comes alongside every Christian to help them live out a life of faith. We've seen that he is the sanctifier. He is the one who unites every Christian with Jesus Christ and then begins to make them more and more like Jesus. We've seen that the Spirit is the guide. He's the one who guides each Christian into deeper knowledge of the faith so that they can know actually how to live life in this complicated world. And then finally, we looked at the Spirit as the comforter, the one who comes alongside people within their pain. And all of these have been good, and I'm glad we looked at them, but all four of them that we've looked at have had to do with the Spirit's work in the life of the individual Christian, the individual believer. And today what we're doing in our final sermon in the series is to look at the work of the Spirit as he equips and empowers the church, the people of God. The Spirit, as we learn on Pentecost Sunday, is the power for the church. Pentecost is the culmination of the 50 days of Easter that we have just walked through. And throughout this Easter, we have been reminding ourselves Sunday by Sunday of this truth, that Jesus Christ is not only risen from the dead, he is actually ascended in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father. He is the ruler over heaven and earth, and he is at work at this moment making a broken creation new. Is this hard to believe sometimes? Yes, it is. I got my laptop out last night about 8 o'clock to get ready for this sermon and open up. News comes across the screen, bomb in London. People killed. This is a weekly, almost daily thing for us now. It is hard to believe sometimes, is it not, that Jesus Christ is ruling over heaven and earth and he is indeed making all things new. But friends, it's true. And that's why we need each other. That's why we come here week by week to remember what is most true, and that is that Jesus Christ is reigning. He is ruling. He is restoring all things. He is making his gospel known. He is advancing his kingdom. He is taking broken things and making them whole. Jesus Christ is, an, is on a mission, a cosmic mission, to restore all things and to draw all nations to himself. And do you know what his chief strategy is? to carry out this monumental work. Do you know what his strategy is? It is. Are you ready to hear this? It is the church. You and me, friends. No plan B. He doesn't have a secondary strategy. You and me. Sounds like a really dumb idea, doesn't it? <laughs> Jesus Christ on a mission to renew all things, and his only strategy is a bunch of broken, failing, doubting, <laughs> messed up group of people. It is not a good strategy, friends, unless, were it not, for one thing and one thing only. And do you know what that is? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the only person that makes Jesus' strategy a workable one. <laughs> Jesus said on Pentecost, just before he sent the Spirit in Acts 1-8, you, he's speaking to his disciples, he says, you knuckleheads, you silly men, who abandoned me at my time of death, you knuckleheads will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, what's, where it's most familiar to you, in Judea, your surrounding region, Samaria, that place that you definitely don't want to go and full of people that you hate, 
and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is sending his people, and Pentecost is the day that Jesus fills his people with the power from the Holy Spirit to do what would be otherwise impossible. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, without the Spirit, the church is a, it's like a ship without wind. It's like a chariot without steeds. It's like a, a branch without sap, like coal without fire. Without the Spirit, the church is nothing. The church is just an empty group of people. The, ch- the Spirit is the power for the church to be the church and to participate in this mission that Jesus has sent the church to do in all the nations of the earth. Friends, third friends, listen. We must never forget this. I will never tire of saying this to you. The day that third church begins to exist for the sake of third church is the day we cease to be third church. Did you hear me on this? The day the third church starts to exist only for the members of third church is the day we cease to be third church. The church exists for your neighbors. The church exists for the city. The church exists for the nations. Bishop William Temple said the church is the only organization in the entire world that exists for those who are not members of it. Friends, the day we forget that truth is the day we cease to be the church. Do you hear me on this, friends? And Jesus has given all that we need to do this grand, momentous work that he's calling us to do. The power for the church to be the church. But what does this mean? Does this mean that all of you should quit your jobs, go to seminary, become preachers and missionaries, or run a nonprofit? I sure hope not, because nothing would ever get done in this world. (laughs) We were all a bunch of preachers, trust me. Here's what this means. It means that the Spirit has gifted each of his people within the church with diverse gifts to carry out the comprehensive mission of Jesus for the world. That's what we want to look at today. So look with me at our text in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul writes this. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one person is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions or distributes to each person individually as he wills. As I was reflecting on this really beautiful passage this week, I I thought about um, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The Chronicles of Narnia are, you know, a beloved allegory of the Christian life. But I I think sometimes what people overlook is that the four children, Peter and Edmund and Susan and Lucy, are not just meant to be images of the individual Christian life, but together they are a metaphor for the church. That they are called by Aslan, they're called by Jesus Christ, in this case Aslan, to be his people, and then he gives them a task. He gives them a mission. And not only does he give them a task and give them a mission, but if you remember the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he gives them tools. He gives them gifts to help them actually carry out this mission he's called them to do. So do you remember what the gifts are? To Lucy, anybody remember what he gives to Lucy? Little ones, you remember? Anybody? What what, would you say, Jackson? Cordial. Cordial, that's right. Healing cordial. They can heal any wound. He also gives her a little dagger to, you know, stick those... Trolls. Um, uh, What does he give to Susan? Remember what he gives to Susan? Bow and arrow, and what else? 
The magic horn, right? To call Aslan in case of any danger. And then what does he give to Peter? The sword. Rinden. You know, the mighty sword of kings. And a shield. And what does he give to Edmund? Nothing. Because he was out eating Turkish delight. That's what you get for eating Turkish delight. <laughs> now, now here, so Aslan gives specific gifts to each of the children. Now here the, 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 the analogy breaks down a little bit. Because the person who actually distributes the gifts to the children is Father Christmas. <laughs> And I'm pretty sure C.S. Lewis did not intend Father Christmas to be an image of the Holy Spirit. If he did, he's really confused. Um, but the point is this, friends, is that Jesus Christ has not only given to us his church a mission, but he's given us the gifts to carry out the mission. He's given each of us diverse gifts to participate in our own distinct way to carry out the mission of Jesus in the world. As it says in verse 11, all these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions and distributes to each person individually as he will. Jesus gives the gifts and the Spirit distributes and empowers the gifts of God for the people of God. So how does this work? Let's learn a little bit about this from this passage, how these gifts work. First of all, note the individuality of the gifts. Okay, look at verse 7. It says, to each person is given the manifestation of the Spirit or, or, or a deposit of the Spirit. Verse 11 says, the Spirit apportions to each person individually as he will. Paul is writing to a group of Christians in a city called Corinth who had gotten really confused. And they had gotten really, they almost had developed a spiritual hierarchy in which certain people with certain gifts were seen as the gifted ones and everyone else just wasn't. And they had developed, you know, ways of ranking each other and so forth. Paul is writing no to them. He's writing to them to say that every person is uniquely gifted. Every person is uniquely equipped by the Holy Spirit. Every person who knows Jesus Christ has been given a gift from the Spirit to participate in the work of Jesus. The church is not a basketball game, friends, where, where, you know, a few people are running around silly on the court and everybody else watches. There is no spiritual gift of bench warming. There is no spiritual gift of passive observation. Every person who trusts in Jesus Christ is uniquely called and gifted into the work. Not just the preachers, not just the singers, not even like just the elders and the deacons, but every one of us from the youngest, you little ones, the youngest, the kids even, to the, to the oldest, I'll let you decide if you're among the oldest, from, from the weakest to the strongest, from, from the able-bodied to the disabled, every one of us are uniquely called and equipped by the Holy Spirit with something specific to contribute to the work. This is so important. I think so many of us struggle with insecurity. Many of us struggle with whether we have any value. Many of us are, are deciding on whether we have a value using completely the wrong measures. Listen to this, friends. You are infinitely valuable to Jesus. You are, and because of that, you are infinitely valuable to the church. You, every one of you, listen to me, every one of you has something to contribute. Every one of you, Jesus has given a special gift to contribute to his work in the world. To each of us, verse 7, is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So would you claim that? Would you believe that about yourself? Would you know that Jesus has done this and given this to you through the Spirit? That's the individuality of the gifts. Second, though, we see the diversity of the gifts. Look at verse 4. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all. This is one of those verses you can point out to people that 
where Paul is describing in Trinitarian language how the Trinity works. He's talk, he talks about the Spirit. He talks about the Lord. That's Jesus. He talks about God. That's the Father. And he says, just as there is this beautiful diversity actually in the Godhead, he has poured out a beautiful diversity in his church so that we would all act and serve in very, very different ways. This is one of four lists of the spiritual gifts that are given in the New Testament. There's one here. There's one in 1 Corinthians 12. I'm sorry, this is 1 Corinthians. There's one in Romans 12. There's one in Ephesians 4, and there's one in 1 Peter 4. And if you look at these gifts and you these lists and you line them up side by side, you will see they were all different, and they're all incredibly random, and, and, and they're all incredibly diverse. Some of the gifts are very extraordinary, like miracles and healings and speaking in tongues. Some of the gifts are very ordinary, like um, helping and mercy and administration. Some of the gifts are very obvious, like preaching, what I'm doing right now, teaching, evangelism. Some of the gifts are more hidden, like faith, wisdom, discernment. The point is that there's not just like one static set group of gifts that you just kind of have to live with for all time. No, it's that Jesus has given this incredible diversity of gifts to all his people to serve within his community. In fact, there are so many different kinds of gifts so many different ways to use these gifts, so many different personalities and capacities within the body of Christ that every Christian is as different as a snowflake. Really, truly. But what often the church does is it just wants a bunch of ice cubes. You know, it wants people, to, it just it picks out a few gifts that it really values and wants everybody to be like that. For the, for the, Corinth, for the Corinthians, it was speaking in tongues. That was the gift that they valued the most. And they said, if you are a value in this church, you will speak in tongues. Now, for most Presbyterian churches don't struggle with that one so much. Now, um, I think we could have a little bit more speaking in tongues around here, I do think. But for us, for Presbyterians, um, we do the same thing. We, you know, the gifts that we most value are probably preaching and teaching and running committees. You know, those, <laughs> those are the spiritual gifts that Presbyterians most value. And if you have others, oh, yeah, it's okay. But these are the ones that we value the most. No, friends, we don't want ice cubes. We certainly don't want ice cubes. We want, we, are, we, are, we, are we encouraging a diversity of gifts within the body? Or only, are we only focusing our attention on a few? I love the story of Bob Lupton, who um, you might know is a wonderful author and writer about community development. And when he was a, a, a new Christian as a young um, businessman, a very successful businessman. He got involved in a Presbyterian church in Atlanta. And he, he was invited to get involved. The first thing they asked him to do was to teach a third grade Sunday school class. He said, no, I don't like kids. So then they asked him to serve on such and such committee. He said, no, I don't like meetings. Then they asked him to serve on the hospitality team. And he said, no, I don't like people. And, and so he's like, is there anything here for me? To? And then one of his friends came to him one day and said, Bob, your problem is this you haven't discovered your spiritual gift. Your spiritual gift is the gift of deal-making. That's what you're good at. And a light bulb went off for Bob, and he said, I'm going to use this gift of deal-making for Jesus, and I'm going to use it for his kingdom. And so Bob Lupton went on to take a, uh, a rundown part of Atlanta, and along with a bunch of other people who actually did like people, he helped to renew that piece of, of land in that neighborhood to become one of the most flourishing neighborhoods in all of Atlanta where there's true affordable housing available for the urban poor. In fact, Bob Lupton has become the, one of the great fathers of affordable housing for the urban poor in the United States. And it was all because he recognized and claimed his spiritual gift of deal-making. Friends, we need every kind of gift 
and every kind of person in the church for Jesus to carry out his work. How do you figure out what yours is? Well, there's tests that you can take. Beth Nichols can actually has a test that you can take if you want to that can help you. I actually think the best way to do it is to, first of all, ask people who know you well what they see as your spiritual gifting. Another thing that you can do is just do some careful self-observation. As Paul says in Romans 12, consider yourself with sober, serious judgment. Look at your feelings. What do you enjoy doing? What do you get excited about? What's satisfying? Look at your effectiveness. What are you good at? Like when you do, do this particular thing, people find themselves being really encouraged and served. Look at your perception of needs. What gets you frustrated? What gets you agitated? We are all so different. For some of you, you get agitated when you drive by a housing project and you start thinking about the poor. Others of you get agitated when you walk into a disorganized room. You know? Some of you get agitated because you, you know, there's not good, robust teaching in the church. Others of you get agitated when you're looking at you know, a, a, a bad budget spreadsheet. You have the gift of Excel, friends. Uh, but the, 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 the point is this, is that, look, there's, there's, there's 88 strings or sets of strings in this piano, 88 of them. And if I were able to, which I cannot, maybe one of you could, sing in perfect pitch, and I could sing C sharp in the sixth octave, there would be only one small triad of strings that would begin to vibrate. Everything else would be still. That set of strings has the gift of C-sharpness. That's what it's made to do. And friends, you were made for something. You were designed by Jesus Christ and by God the Father and given gift from the Spirit to vibrate, to sing over certain things that only you can do something about. That is how beautiful and distinctive that Jesus has made us. He wants ice cubes, not snowflakes, not uniformity, but diversity. Finally, the gifts are not just individual and diverse, but they're also collective. And what I mean by that is the purpose of these gifts are for the, up, for the edification of the body. This is not like a spiritual Myers-Briggs test. You know, the first time you take the Myers-Briggs test, you're like, oh, I'm an INFJ. You know, how special I am. And then they say, yes, Gandhi was an INFJ. And I say, oh, yeah. And then they say, oh, so was Hitler. He was an INFJ too. But, you know, so many of these personality tests are about, you know, they're about self-actualization. Right? Me becoming like who, who you know, I, and, and let me tell you, friends, spiritual gifts are not about self-actualization. They are about community edification. They're not about you. They're about others. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, seek to excel at those gifts that are most beneficial to the body. Those gifts are not about finding yourself. They're about the community. You know, it's Golden State Warriors and Cleveland Cavaliers again in the NBA Finals, part three. Um, and, you know, both teams are great. But what ultimately, I think, sets Golden State apart and what makes them just such an amazing team, and, you know, LeBron's great too, the Cavs are great too, but is not their individual superstars, but is the way that they work together. Um, A friend of mine told me this week that the Golden State Warriors have an assist percentage of 70.5%, which is the highest rate of any NBA team in 13 years. What that basically means is they pass the ball a lot. No guy, watch the game tonight and you'll see, no one guy ever just holds onto the ball. They're constantly passing it. The Cavs, on the other hand, have the highest percentage of isolated possessions, which means they give it to one guy, you know who that guy is, and he takes it down the field again and again. But the the, the Warriors are a masterpiece of the common good. And so what am I saying here? I'm saying that God loves the Golden State Warriors. 
And, 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 um, and I'm also saying that don't be like that. That's what I'm saying. The Spirit never gives a spiritual gift except for it to be used for the common good of others. So don't get so hung up on yourself and your own calling that you ignore and miss what you can actually presently do. I, just to paraphrase C.S. Lewis in one of his books, he says, he says, if you look to find yourself, in the end, you will only find loneliness and ruin. But if you look to Christ, if you look to him and you look to his church and you just look to serve him and you do that, in the end, you will find yourself. As you serve, you eventually discover your gifts as you give yourself for the common good of the body. So, so let me sum up. Jesus Christ is on a mission to renew all things. And his chief strategy, <laughs> believe it or not, is the church. You and me. And the Spirit empowers the church by giving the gifts to the people of God to participate in the mission of Jesus to the world. Friends, the more we know each other, the more we see each other, the more we value and care for one another, the more we use what we've been given for the sake of one another, the more we will mature and the more effective we will be in carrying out the mission of Jesus. Listen to me, friends. Please hear me on this. The church is not a show in which a band plays and a choir sings and a guy preaches and you go home. That is not the church, friends. As much as American, North American Christianity has made Christianity out to be that, the church is an active body on the move, loving and serving and sending and giving and caring and seeking and advocating and proclaiming and hosting and playing and singing and leading and listening and counseling and sharing and exhorting and correcting and restoring. So get in the game, friends. We need you. We need you. You have something to contribute. We have big things that Jesus has called us to here. We're moving to this this parish model of church, which means we're trying to mobilize communities of Christians all over Richmond to live out the gospel and to love their neighbors. We need you for this. We need you. We're, we're, We're deepening our partnership with the Christian Arabic church, learning from them how to better reach out and care for the immigrants and the refugees that are flooding our city. We need you. We need you for this. We're trying to be a better neighbor to our own community here in Tuckahoe and how we can contribute to the flourishing of this neighborhood. We need you. We need you for this. And, and I'm telling you, we are doing the due diligence. We're planning. We're organizing. We're budgeting. We're strategizing. We're doing all of these things. But have mercy on us if we believe that our own competence, intelligence, and experience can actually carry out this work. It is only by the power of the Spirit of God And the Spirit of God equips the people of God for the mission of God. This is how Jesus carries out his work in the world. We are called together for the renewal of all things. So friends, as we come to the table, I want you to remember this. There's only one person who has ever lived who had all the spiritual gifts. And that's Jesus. All of them in perfect measure. Teaching, preaching, healing, Wisdom, faith, everything, everything in perfect measure. And what did Jesus do with all of this power and all of these gifts? He lived every single second of his life for the sake of others. He gave himself fully. He lived as a servant. He suffered and died for your sins. 
And he did all of this because Jesus' absolute passion, the very meaning of his life, is to take broken and failing sinners, to redeem them by his grace, and then to give them a life of more meaning and purpose than anyone would have ever thought imaginable. This is what Jesus loves to do. And this is what Jesus wants to do for you. He wants to give you a part to play in his mission to redeem all things. And you might think, no, not me. But trust me, friends, trust me. You are not a bigger traitor than Peter. You are not a bigger hater than Paul. Uh, you, you are not a bigger doubter than Thomas. And you're not a bigger jerk than James. But these are the people, these are the knuckleheads that Jesus chooses, that Jesus calls, that Jesus claims, that Jesus quips, and that Jesus sends. And he does this through the Spirit of God. So as you come to the table today, see it as an invitation of Jesus Christ through the Spirit. He wants to call you in, and he wants to send you out. Let's pray. We do thank you, loving Father, that you have not only raised Jesus from the dead and and that he has ascended into heaven, but that now you and Jesus, the Son, give the Spirit to the church to not just power the church for mission, but then also to equip the church to actually do the mission. And we pray that at this table that we would come as open-handed, ready to receive, ready to receive a fresh measure of your grace, a fresh filling of the Spirit, so that we can then go out and be the body of Christ for the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.